0: We're continuing on uh, some verses that relate to the Lord's birth. And, uh, of course, this is the time of the year that we uh, celebrate the Lord's birth. It is debatable whether he was born in the winter. But nevertheless, he was born. And this morning, we're going to look at Galatians 4, 4, and 5. In these two verses, uh, we have the Christmas story given to us. The Bible says in the fourth verse of, of Galatians 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son... Made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. There's really five things that I want to point out in this passage. We're going to look at When it says the fullness of time, what does that mean? What does that involve? What had to happen for that to be able to be said? And then we're going to look at uh, God sent forth his son, the baby born in Bethlehem, made of a woman, made under the law, and to redeem man that was condemned from the law. And so, the first point, but when the fullness of time was come, it's very interesting to look at the Bible and then look look just historically at the movement of God in the world. And Actually, we find that he's never late. He's never ahead of time. But there's always things that are working to bring about what he has designed. And particularly, that's the case in, uh, in this fullness of time. Uh, the time had come. Why didn't he come a thousand years before. Why didn't he come a thousand years later? But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. When Jesus was born into the world, the world was in a, in a very great state of darkness. If you go over to Romans chapter 1, it gives a description for us of the state of the world. Let's begin in verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. But became vain in their imagination and a foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image made like a corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness to the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And we find, as we read through this, you're going to realize that history repeats itself and none of this has gone away, but particularly at this point in history, in the Gentile world, things were very, very corrupt. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. All across humanity there is idol worship. For this cause God gave them up to their vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use of that which is against the nature. And likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was met. We live in a day when it seems to be uh, the thinking that our, our acceptance, when we accept uh, homosexual lifestyle, that we are, we are advancing, that we are, we are growing as a society, we're growing as a culture, as we become more inclusive. But actually, uh, instead of our culture evolving, it's devolving. And we're going back to the very basic uh, uh, corruption of humanity. Verse 28, and even as they they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Because we know even the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament being filled with all unrighteousness and fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And so, in this, if we, if you could go back, and we could have a history lesson this morning, and study the societies of the world at this moment in time, and and societies that are are in existence without God as the center, uh, you're going to find children being abused. You're going to find that uh, women are not esteemed as the Jews, Jewish religion or the Bible and that that there's great oppression and uh, and the world was a very, very dark place uh, when Jesus was born. It was in darkness. And in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16, if you'll look there in Matthew 4 and 16, it gives a description of this time when Christ came into the world and it says that there in fulfillment of, if you look back to verse 14, the fulfillment of a, of a prophecy in Isaiah says the land of Zebulun and the land of Nathalem, those were those were tribes in Israel and their portion of land that was allotted to them was in the north of Israel, Zebulun and Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which are in the region of the shadow of death, light is sprung up. And so this area, the area north uh, in, in Israel was the area that was invaded first. This is where this is where uh, the the uh, uh, the the conquering and the and the uh, Gentile influence was going to take place. The woman at the well, uh, you know, uh, and people, people uh, the I can't think of the name today, but there were half Jews and half Greeks, and it's a very corrupt area. And, and when it describes that portion of Israel, it describes it as being in the land of darkness, that that it, the, the, the people were set in darkness saw a great light, and then was set in the region of the shadow of death light has sprung up. And so it's trying to give us an indication of society when the Lord comes, and when it talks about the light that's coming, It says, From that time Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. I think it's very interesting and very encouraging that when we look at Jesus' ministry, where he began. He didn't go to Jerusalem and and claim to be king, but he went to the darkest region of his nation. And there he gave forth uh, the gospel. But the point is, is that the Jewish religion had just, is that. It's become a religion. It's not what God intended. It wasn't, it wasn't the the preparation for Christ's coming that that, that was meant for, but it's come, become more and more corrupt, and actually the whole Jewish system with the high priest, and the priest, and the running of the temple, and have people having to buy uh, their sacrificial lambs from the priesthood, and people having to come and and uh, and exchange their money from their country uh, for the Jewish money because you could only pay your poll tax or you could only pay your tax uh, by the Jewish money, and they were it was a uh, this raking off the top. It, it was it was almost it was like. It was a Jewish mafia is what it was. And remember, Jesus is going to knock over their table and said, you've made uh, God's house a house of merchandise. And uh, Christianity has, not Christianity, but religion has just become a business. And so he came in the fullness of time, and he came uh, when the world lay in spiritual darkness. But historically, he came at the right time. Caesar Augustus was the emperor of Rome who brought the known world where Rome had influence. He brought peace. Uh, Rome ruled with an iron hand. Uh, It gave freedom when they would conquer a nation it often left uh, the people there and let them have some government control, but whenever you stepped out of line in Rome, you lost your head. But what what resulted in all of that is that there was peace in the world before. There was just always little uh, little little groups of people, you know, kind of like in the American West, you know. The Arapahoes would ra- raid the Blackfeet, and, you know, the, there was always conflict. Well, in uh, this time in the Roman Empire, Rome had brought peace. and it call, It's called uh, the Pax uh, Roma- Romana, the world at peace. And it was at peace because uh, these soldiers enforced it. And that wasn't a bad thing. In fact, it's, it was a very good thing. <clears throat> what happened is that Rome, Rome would develop uh, roadways to get their soldiers quickly to places that were in, in, in rebellion or conflict. And even in, uh, in Europe today, there are numerous places where you can find roman roads that are still in existence and and they were they were pretty smart smart i I don't know where i'm in the way and where i'm not in the way but you could what they would do they would build a base you can see here they would lay it with bigger rock another base on top of that and another uh, paved stones and you can see those in europe today and you can see that it was crowned to roll off, and and then it had ditches on both sides for the water to run down the ditches, and they made v- very wonderful ways in which to get their soldiers quickly to overthrow or or or, or, or put down uh, rebellion. But but you see that not all, that did not only allow for the soldiers to get there quickly, but it allowed for the Jewish uh, uh, merchant to get there quickly. It opened up the world to travel when it wasn't that way before, in the fullness of time, on the on the sea, there were, and, and uh, that road system also. Before, it's kind of like a, it was kind of like the uh, the Good Samaritan. You know, you're going down the hill, and you're overtaken by robbers. I mean that was kind of a common thing. If you took, if you went across country, you better be uh, armed up and ready to protect yourself. But now with Rome in charge and outposts all around, there was not only quickly be able to get to places, but safely you could get to places. On the high sea, there was a lot of uh, uh, pirating going on, and. Uh, And Rome stopped that. And this just shows some different ships that were were around. Rome uh, had the lighthouses as part of their ideas, some of the different big ships that uh, was used for travel in the seas. And we know that, uh, and you look in in the Word of God, you'll see that Paul's involved in writing in ships. And getting the gospel to different areas, and being able to do it in a in a safe manner. <clears throat> what happened also is as as the Jews would travel, and they would do their commerce, and their trading. There would be Jewish synagogues, and that really was. Uh, a key to many of the places where, where the gospel went. That when a Christian would arise in the city, then they could go to the synagogue, try to make the application of the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, and show how they pointed out the Lord. And I'm just simply saying that all these things seem to come together in a moment in time in history when Galatians says to us, when the fullness of time was come, that God had prepared. And, and I think, uh, again, I'm trying to emphasize here that, that, uh, that God is not set down uh, in the sense that he is sitting on his throne. But he's not removed himself from the world today and preparing for things to happen preparing people, preparing events and uh, and you know like Noah it seems like right now the things are happening with Noah and he's being blessed and, and all this time before he's over there but you see God was preparing Noah and God was preparing the people and God God is in the business of preparing souls and preparing events, working in history. That, that we need not, we, we should not ever let ourselves get so discouraged to think that God does not know, God does not care, God is not working. He is working. And when the fullness of time, when he, when, he, he, when he had put the world in a specific place at a specific time, then Christ came out of heaven to be born of a virgin. And one of those things was the Jewish synagogue. Linguistically, The world was prepared for the coming of Christ. Alexander the Great conquered the known world, they say. Alexander the Great not only conquered many places, but Alexander the Great also brought the Greek language when he conquered them. He controlled the area. They learned Greek. Greek is a a language that was, was commonly known. Uh, it, it was uh, it was the not the classical Greek, but it was called the Koine Greek, which is uh, uh, common Greek. And I don't, you know, this is Biblion Bible, that's uh, Cardia heart, Cosmos, Anthropos. See how smart I am? <laughs> uh, that's that's all. I've told you all I know now. So don't ask for anything else uh but it was a universal language. the people throughout the Roman Empire understood Greek. And so when Paul arrived on the scene, not only did was, was he in the, the, the in the process and Paul was in the in part of that in in God using them, using men to form the New Testament through, using them as tools, an inspired word. But also at this time, the Old Testament had been translated in the Greek, which is called the Septuagint. And, and so, so it was, the world is prepared for the coming of Christ. Prophetically, it was the fullness of time. If you go over to Daniel chapter nine, I don't have time this morning Uh, And I don't have it on top of my head. I'd have to go back and study this some more. But in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon the people. And this is not not seven-day weeks, but this is weeks of years, 70 Seventy seven years, I mean, 70 uh, uh, groups of seven years are returned upon the people, which would be 490. In the holy city, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make a reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy one. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment, to restore and build Jerusalem, that is, from the Babylonian captivity and then the Medo-Persian captivity, Medo-Persians conquered Babylon, there was a command given to the Jews to go and restore Jerusalem. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, Unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, threescore and two weeks, and the streets shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And so when you, when you study that out, there's a, a whole book written on it, and I forget the name of it. But when you study that out, when you run the timeline, you see when the, the king of Babylon, the Medo, Medo-Persian Empire, gave you the decree, go back and build Jerusalem until Christ's coming in His triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem was exactly those same numbers. And so the fullness of time, that, that God is working, that the birth of Jesus Christ was not happenstance, but the birth of Jesus Christ was determined in eternity past, but He came at the exact right moment. All right. Oh, going backward. But when the fullness of time was come, we've worked that out, God sent forth his Son, made of the woman, made under the law. If you go over to Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, and look at verse 6, a well-known prophecy, and look at, uh, well, this for your sake of, just for a little sake of a rabbit trail, but drop back up to verse 1. Nevertheless, the dim, dimness shall not be such as it was in her vexation when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. And the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, and they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them the light shine. A prophecy that we saw fulfilled earlier. And then giving more clues about what Isaiah's is talking about. He said, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Well what I want you to see is that for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. When it said God sent forth his son, he sent forth one that was in, already existing. That it wasn't, he didn't begin at Bethlehem. He's always been. And when Isaiah comments on it, he he fleshes that out for us and that he says that, that he's the mighty God and the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, that this child that's going to come to Bethlehem is none other than the mighty God, none other than the everlasting Father, the three-in-one. The child that's born was a son that was given. And so uh, there's something... Unique that's being given to us about this birth in Bethlehem. That it's something that has never taken place before. It speaks of his incarnation. It speaks of God becoming a man. That God had a plan. And his plan was that Jesus would come into the world... The second person of the Godhead, and that he would uh, be tempted in all points like we are yet without sin, that he would be the perfect sacrifice uh, for mankind. And then it says, made of a woman, and uh, that says a lot. If you go back with me to Matthew chapter 1. And look at verse 18. Of course, when it says made of a woman, we know that to be speaking of the virgin birth. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, very specific, plain language, She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, he could have, and if he would have, uh, she could have literally been stoned to death, was minded to put her away privately. But when he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted, God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Go now to Luke, the Gospel of Luke. chapter 1, and verse 26. In the sixth month, uh, what that's talking about is that Elizabeth, Mary's uh, cousin, I believe, an older woman, the wife of Zacharias, had not had children. And in her old age, she conceives, and she's going to bear John the Baptist. But in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused or engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And an angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. I mean, these this couple, Joseph and Mary, both were of the lineage of David. Instead of being in the in the palace, uh, they're they're in in the street. I mean, they have home, but they're 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 not rich people. They're not kingly descendants in the sense of being able to have great things. Because uh, Rome had conquered the Jewish nation. An angel came to her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. An angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary to him, How can this thing be, seeing I know not a man? And so we find very clearly that she is a virgin made of a woman to a virgin espoused so what's the big deal about that why was it necessary well first something has never happened before it was it was a sign that he was definitely from God. When we finished the last lesson in this series, the, right after Christmas, I, I'm going to teach a lesson I've taught before, but it's such a, it, it, if it's not a blessing to you, it'll be a blessing to me. But I'm going to teach about uh, Joseph. In the Christmas story, you don't ever hear much about Joseph. But it's p- pretty plain in that lesson that uh, people, people refer to Jesus as being a bastard. That he was illegitimate. They knew he wasn't Joseph's son. They tried to make him out to be somebody else's son. Or of an of a act of fornication between Mary and Joseph. But people Knew that there's something different about him. The virgin birth made it possible for man to be born with a sinless nature. That holy thing, it says in Luke, that holy thing that's within you, that Jesus, from the very beginning of being within Mary, is holy. He's always been holy. So we got two lessons from the virgin birth. <laughs> I think this is just exercise my wrist. The birth shows us that man is unable to save himself. It wouldn't have been necessary if we could save ourselves. That our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Martin Lord Jones said, If you do not believe in the virgin birth, how do you account for Christ's sinlessness? Are we not entitled to put it like this? If he had been born in the ordinary way of a father and a mother, then surely he would have been like every other person. He would have been in direct sequence, in the direct line from Adam. And therefore, it would be true to say of him also, as in Adam, all die. To escape hell and the wrath of God, we needed one who was without sin so he could take our sin upon himself. If Jesus was not sinless, he could not die in our place. He'd have to pay for his own sin. Dr. James Kennedy summarizes how central the virgin birth is to the Christian faith. If Jesus was not born, I think I got this up here. Okay. No, I don't. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, then he was mistaken about his parenting. parenting. He constantly declared himself to be the Son of God. He declared that God was his Father. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, then he was not the Son of God, but merely the illegitimate child of a sinful relationship between a Jewish peasant girl and an unknown man. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, then Christ was not born of the seed of the woman, but of the seed of the man. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, then he cannot be the divine redeemer because the sacrifice of sin must be perfect. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, we have no savior. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, we're still in our sins and without forgiveness. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, we have no hope after death. A number of years ago, David Letterman's Show had... Larry King on to interview him, Larry King being uh, a man who had a, did lots of interviews with a number of great people on the Clinton News Network, CNN, and uh, he was on the Letterman Show, I don't know if it's CBS or what that was. And during the course of their uh, conversation, Letterman asked Larry King if he could interview any person from history, who would it be? Because that's what he did, he interviewed people. Without a moment's hesitation, King responded, Jesus Christ. And oh, smart, smart mouth Letterman, he swallowed his tongue. He, he didn't know what to say. He was at a loss for words. He looked stunned. And it wasn't the answer they expected. And stammering, he said to him, Well, what would you ask him? And Larry King, who who is a Jewish man, Larry King said, I'd ask him if he really was born of a virgin. And then he replied, The answer to that question would define history. Yeah, he was born of a virgin. He came forth at the exact time that the Lord wanted him to come. And know this for surety, he's going to come again at the exact time he's supposed to come. And so, we learn that mankind is unable to save himself, that all of our righteousness are filthy rags. We learn that we're saved by grace and not by works. We learn that there's nothing we can do to ransom our souls. The virgin birth reminds us that Salvation is of the Lord. But also, the virgin birth ought to remind us of the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Listen, uh, if you haven't realized this yet, God doesn't need You and me. He didn't have to save us to bring himself any worth. The word worship comes from the word worth. It's it's connected to that. And we worship him because he is worthy. With or without our repenting of sins and trusting Him, He is worthy. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. But it reminds us of the love that God sent forth His Son. But God commended His love towards us, demonstrated His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then the last thing, he was made under the law to redeem them that went under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Christ was born under the law. All men were obligated to the law. Like all men, he would be judged by the law. Unlike all men, he was without sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus did for us what the law could not do. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, not the law wasn't weak, and the law wasn't flawed, but we are flawed. God sending his own son. In the likeness of sinful flesh, not in sinful flesh, but likeness. He was made like men, but he wasn't made from a man. And for sin, condemn sin in the flesh to redeem them that were under the law. We have a slave picture here, and a redeemed from Satan and sin, the repentant sinner has been purchased out of the slave market. That redeem, this word redeem, there's a, a couple of Greek words that are translated redeem, but this word redeem means I've been bought out of a place of a slave market, a place of bondage. I've been bought out of a place of bondage, never to go back again. Yeah. Next week, uh, I'm going to continue here and. Uh, We're going to look at this last phrase right here, that we might receive the adoption of sons. I don't think we understand what that's all about. Uh, But it's glorious. It's glorious. All right, you're dismissed.